um, I'm Fleur Sexton and I'm the Chief Exec of Petexide Training and I'm today with Liz Blaygrove, Dr Liz Blaygrove who is Senior Teaching Fellow and Director of Teaching and Learning in Psychology Department at Warwick University. And we're doing the podcast today from the top of the Coventry Telegraph Hotel, opposite the Belgrade, and uh, it's lovely to be here with you. So, first question I've got is, what does normal mean? As we come out of the pandemic, we're asking these questions, and the big question for everybody is, what does normal mean? So that's the first question today, um, that's, that's a great question, Blair. Um, and first of all, thank you for inviting me, and it's great to meet you in person. So, it's lovely. You may have noticed that Claire and I have been working together for a while via Zoom and it is lovely to finally be in the same place. Yeah. And to me this is part of what normal means to me as yes. a person, is actually getting to be around people, being in a social environment. You can probably hear the bustle of the city around us. Yes, that so is lovely. there is that sense of the country, the world coming back to life in, in many ways. But there are a number of other ways that we can think about what normality means in terms of more, more generally for humans in terms of their behaviour. And normal is quite a weird word, I think, because it implies that some things are correct, some things are acceptable, accepted, and that other things are not. So if we think about um, the word the word normal can be used in terms of kind of averages. So somebody being normal tends to mean that they're in the middle of a, of a set of values that have extremes at either end. And we get the cluster of that most people with kind of scores or performance or um, the way they behave will behave around the centre of, of the kind of distribution. We also talk about normal in terms of, say, this contrast to abnormal. Or sometimes if we're being really disparaging to people, we can say, well, that person's not normal. And it becomes a way of labelling. So we're saying, what is what is acceptable to us and what isn't, or what is considered being part of normal society. Now we're using the word again, it's so difficult not to describe normal without using the word normal. The last thing I'd like to kind of flag up here is this idea of a norm. So you may have heard the term uh, a social norm, and this is an unwritten rule that we have within our social behaviour that actually defines what is appropriate, acceptable behaviour in a particular context. And that might be one of the things that is at the heart of us dividing between what is normal and what is not normal and looking down on the things that aren't. So that's coming at it perhaps from a more scientific view, but in terms of I mean, um, my focus obviously is in psychology. I'm aware of the amazing work that you do with PetXI in the community. How have you found this kind of fitting in with the work that you've been doing um, with communities? Yeah, I think this is really interesting because for, for us, I think the work that we're doing, we, we're discovering a lot of what people uh, what people accept as normal is what they're used to. So it's a lot of the sense of what they're comfortable with, about what makes them feel good. And like for me as well, you know, it's the things that I love being out, I love being with people. So to me, that puts me in a place where I feel very comfortable being in social settings, being with people that I know or meeting new people. So I think it's, it's about being in a place where you can thrive. So I think for me, normal is about a place where you can thrive. I don't know if that's, that is the exact meaning of the word, but I think that's how we're seeing it being used. I think one of, one of the things about 
the idea as normal as it can come to mean whatever we want it to mean. Yeah. Yeah. So it's only through using it and kind of evaluating, and that's that's really interesting contrast to how we might look at it from a scientific perspective. Yeah. So that, that's really what I hadn't thought of it in terms of people feeling more comfortable and being what they get used to. If you think about how people say, oh, it's not normal being at home all the time, it's not normal not being able to see family, it's like, it's this accepted um, sense of, of norm, you know, a sense yeah. of like, what is, what are we used to, what is the way that we run our lives, what is it that actually makes us live the way that we want to live. Do you think part of that then is just habit? Yes, I do actually, I do. I think it's it's probably a habit that people work hard to try and get to. So, for example, I will always try and be in situations where I can be with people because I love being with people. So for me, that becomes my normal because it's something that works for me and it's where I can actually give benefit to other people and I can, in terms of my work, it's when I'm at my best. So that's what I'll try to direct things to. So I think when people have got no choices, then normal seems to become something directed by other people because it's it's not that's a really interesting idea. Yeah. We've not got that control over anything. Yeah. yeah, I think that is. I think it's. You never have to think about these things, do you? You never have to think what is normal, what's not normal. You know, you just have your days, your weeks, everything is planned. Like for children at school, it's not normal that they're actually working from home because we're not used to that. We're not accepting of that as a community. We're very social people, aren't we, generally? Do you think then what I was saying about the contrast between, you know, us thinking kind of negatively about things that are not normal, do you think it always has to be a negative thing? Um, I suppose a lot of personal bias comes into that, doesn't it? Because for me, um, I think it's a very negative thing because I think we are social people who need to be together to reinforce each other, to create a sense of well-being, to really help each other to thrive. But there are some people who, who really enjoy having time just to not have to interact and they, they prefer to be in a position where they, they don't have those stresses on them essentially, isn't it? So I think it's it's very much about personal perspective, isn't it? Like, but for me, this is great. I mean, being out here <laughs> yeah. now, it's just wonderful. <laughs> and just, just hearing those sounds of people around us. Yeah, yes. it's lovely. Yeah, it is. It really is lovely. So, how do you see the new normal fits in, like post-COVID? How, how does that fit in with people's lives? First of all, I have to be really honest, I've hated this phrase, the new normal, because there have been so many things about life during the pandemic that haven't worked for me. That, I mean, there were things that have, but there has been so much pain and so much suffering, and there continues to be that pain and suffering, because this has been a challenge for everybody. It, it hasn't... It's hit some communities more than others and that is is horrific but it, we've all been i heard a wonderful phrase for this actually earlier this week um we've all been in different boats in the same storm yeah so i think to me what the new normal brings is exactly what you are talking about the fact that people want to get back to a state where they can predict what's going to happen that's that, interesting predictability and yeah yeah it's uncertainty like that, that yes. Yes. and the constant not knowing what is going to happen from day to day week to week month to month 
are we going to be in lockdown? Are we going to be out of lockdown? Do we have to wear a mask? Do we not have to wear a mask? Am I going to be able to go into my office? Am I not going to be able to go into oh, whatever place of work? Sorry, that sounds a little bit um, a bit weird. Obviously, people work in very diverse workplaces, but we've had so much uncertainty. And I think to me, that's been the one thing that has really impacted on people's stress levels and the negativity that has led to a spiral in mental health issues that people have experienced. Yeah, definitely. So from your perspective then, so I see I see it from one perspective, have you seen the same things from the work you do or is there, is there a different way that you've seen the communities you work with affected? I think the, the big thing for me is that it's been very much about the um, the injustice of the whole situation. So I think definitely what you said about certain communities being hit harder, I think the, the poorer and the more vulnerable in society have been hit a lot harder. And I think in terms of what we're looking at as this new normal, you know, post-COVID, what's really important to me is that we don't move those injustices of the COVID period into post-COVID. So that's why it's very important for me that we do get back to community working. You know, we're right. in communities together. You can't see the issues that are going on in communities when you're not actually entrenched in those communities. You know, it's very hard to be on Zoom working remotely from the communities that you're trying to help because you're not feeling those challenges. And I think it's really important, apart from the collaboration side of it, I think it's really important to, to feel those challenges, to see those issues, to, to actually be present in, in, that, in those challenges. And um, for me, the new normal is very much about social justice. So it's about saying, this is what was unfair before, let's change this, let's move this forward. This is how we can build now. Definitely. And it's almost, I guess from, from what you're saying, the fact that we don't, we we deal with the negativity that the new normal has brought us, Yes. but we also accept the fact that there's a phenomenal amount of change and opportunity that that actually brings, because we don't have to go back to the habits that don't necessarily serve us well from yes. the old normal. Yes. We have an opportunity now to actually think about change and how we can work together better. Yes, definitely. I think that's really interesting. And I did hear this really good analogy, actually, that it's like, you know, you've packed your car to go on holiday and it was really badly packed and you've got a load of rubbish in there and there's a load of stuff you don't need. And now's our chance to actually say, right, let's pack this thing up again. Let's get all the things that are important in there. Let's leave the things behind we don't need. And let's actually think about what we want because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to rethink what we want as our normal moving forward. What is it we want? Do we want commutes? Do we want, I mean, a lot of people I've heard have said, actually, the, the travel time is really important because that's when you can reflect, you can think about the thing you've come from, whether it's a meeting or whether it's a, um, I don't know, it could be anything. It could be a performance. It could be a, anything at all, whatever your, your job role is. But having that time to come down from that and reflect on it is really important. So if we're not going to be travelling as much, we don't want to just replace that time with constant activity. So I think actually 
sitting down and thinking, what do we want this new normal to be, is really important. And I see the danger for me and for everybody, I'm sure we're all the same, but we'll just be so grateful to be back to some normality in terms of some sense of what we're used to, we'll just start we'll just put, we'll rub it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's lovely to hear you talk about the new normal in such a positive, a positive way, because we're, we're very used to hearing um, in the media, I guess, talking about the challenge of a global pandemic, all of the things that we've, we've lost or that we've had to sacrifice or that we've had to put on hold. And just to flip that round and go, well, actually, yes, we can't change those things because they've happened. True. But we can do things differently now. Yes. And we can make our new normal actually mean something. Yes, definitely. I think that's something that previous generations didn't have. They didn't have that almost like this stopping point and this time to actually reassess the way things are being done. That's, that's not something other people have had, is it? Because you've just done things and it's carried on. And I guess the last the opportunity really we had in this country, and it's very poignant to be, to be doing this podcast in the middle of Coventry, which was hit so hard yes. during the Second World War. And again, a hugely tragic loss of life, um, phenomenal impact on Coventry. And look at how it's literally risen from the ashes now. Definitely, City of yeah. Culture for this year. Yeah, It's amazing Wonderful. to see that. But again, at, the, at that point, that's when the last time I think the people around us had an opportunity, opportunity had to stop reflect on what has happened and actually how lives could be built again. Yes, I think that's really important moving forward now because there are some things like, you know, the the amazing strides that have been taken for, for women, for example. We don't want to see that moving backwards as maybe more women start working from home and it's it's maybe sold to them as, oh, well, you can work from home, it's an amazing thing. Is it an amazing thing? Is it good for women to get out and be, is it going to be more women than men that work at home, in which case that would be problematic? I think there has to be, everything we do moving forward has to have compassion and equality at the heart of those decisions. It can't just be, oh, we can do that, so we'll do it. We have to think of the implications of if we move forward in this way, what will happen as a result. And I think individuals have to be at the heart of that. It can't just be, here's a group of people, this is what will work for all of them. We have to think about the different factors that are involved here. One of the things that just sprung into my head as you were talking, and so I think in previous conversations we've talked about positive psychology, we've talked about um, character strengths and things, and one of the things we know from positive psychology is that variety and change, shaking things up a bit can actually really increase our happiness levels and our contentment. And I'm thinking about people, if you are only in one place for all of your home life and all of your work life, then you get no opportunity to actually have the variety that will keep you feeling happy and contented. So potentially, whilst it might seem a great solution for keeping us all socially distanced and it might seem like a really handy economic solution whilst we're going through those challenges post-pandemic, what about if that actually has a negative impact on people's well-being overall? I think that's really interesting. I think that's that's one of my fears for people working from home, like if that becomes the new normal, because I think the the opportunities that come through being out in the world, the opportunities that come through random chance, through meetings with people that you weren't expecting to meet, through actually oh, yes. being seeing things happen, you think that is wrong, that shouldn't be how things are, let's change things. And I think it's really important that 
we are out in the world in order to change the world and make it a better place, really important. But also I think one of the things that worries me is that a lot of people who are in difficult situations now, who may have difficult economic situations or difficult situations um, just generally in terms of domestic situation, could be domestic abuse, domestic violence, could be poverty, could be all sorts of things, overcrowding in the, in the home situation. People are not going to be able to achieve social justice or social change if they are forced back into the environments that have held them back. So I think the world, being out in the world, is really, really important. So for me, what I want to see in the new normal is where people have more opportunity to achieve social justice and social change, and people who have been maybe long-term employed, not in a great situation necessarily at home, I would not want to see them having to work at home, because I think that would definitely not present opportunity that being in the workplace with all these new people, with all these new opportunities and challenges could provide to them. So for me, it's all about opportunity and fairness, and I think that's got to be the key to what we actually build back. You know, hear about people saying build back better. That for me is the got to be one of the cornerstones. Build back better, and to me, it's work together better. Lovely. So I think I think between I us, we we've, we've kind of got Definitely, that. Yeah, yeah. We just need to take over the world now. Flo. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to propose we take a two minute. Yeah. Down moment to have a sip of drink. Lovely. Is that okay? So the next question I'd like to ask you is why do humans crave normality? Okay, so I think we've covered some of these things before. Um, I think we've talked about habits. I think people, even if they don't like the behaviour that comes, that arises habitually, they, they feel comfortable with it. So they're kind of quite happy to stick with things even if they're not perfect because it's what, what you know. And there's this idea as well of um, human beings liking predictability. So I think I've talked to you before about basically humans are almost like little data collecting machines. Then we go into the world, we interact with other humans, we collect data and go, ah, this is the way that things happen when I interact with this person on this basis. So we formulate our little predictions, we test them, and we move, we move forward. And it enables us to make these kind of models of the way that the world works around us and how we're going to interact with different people. So as we build more predictability, we seem to feel a little bit more comfortable. That also links into this idea that I mentioned right at the start, that uncertainty is a huge stress on people. Despite the fact we like variability, despite the fact that we like surprises, surprises are good for our well-being, we don't want too many of them. And we don't want to be constantly in this state of not knowing what comes next. So that can be something. The last thing I think about normality, and that's right back to the the first ideas that I was talking about in terms of what normal is, is that we want to fit in. So even though we kind of all like to think of ourselves as being unique and special, and of course we are, you know, everybody's unique, there is nobody quite like you, even if you have, you know, even if we start cloning humans, even if you've got an identical twin, you are still a unique individual. But as much as we want to stand out for our uniqueness, we also don't want to be pointed at and be seen as an outsider. So we want to be part of the group that we feel we belong to. 
And it's really quite rare for somebody to actually go, do you know what, I really don't care about feeling like I belong. I don't care about being part of the community. It's quite, and it, it's often a very deliberate decision or it's somebody that has become really disaffected and disturbed by the way that society works. So it, it's, a, it's a choice. Most of the time you want to be part of that accepted group, following those accepted rules. But the, the last thing I think as well about normality that I haven't really touched on before is um, an idea called self-efficacy. I'm trying to remember if we've actually talked about this before, Fleur. Does it, does it ring any bells? I don't remember, no. So, when we have predictability and stability and we think we know the way that the world is going to go because of experiences we've had before and the, the data that we've collected, these little kind of nuggets of information we collect in our everyday lives, then we can develop something that's called self-efficacy. And this is the idea that we can change our environment in a way that benefits us, that enables us to reach our goals. So when people begin to feel very helpless, it tends to be because they have no sense of control over their lives, about anything around them. If you think about what's happened to all of us during the pandemic, all the things that we thought we could control suddenly we couldn't. We had small amounts of control within our homes and within our lives, but most of the things that we thought we could depend on were taken away from us. So that's going to mean that we stop believing in our ability to actually reach our goals through being able to move things around in our environments and our daily lives to actually get to that place. That's, those are the reasons that I, I think, personally, and the, the parts of psychology I would draw on to actually explain why humans like the idea of normality, despite the fact that in many ways it doesn't always benefit us. And I know there's a question I'm supposed to be asking you, but I can't remember what it is. I'm just amazed by that. actually explains so much, doesn't it? It really does. The fact that moving things around in our environments and taking that away from us, I'm, I've never heard of that before. And I'm, I think it's amazing because it really does explain a lot of where the stresses have come from for people. Whatever life people lead in, those, that applies to everybody. It doesn't matter what the goals are, what life you're leading, uh, it doesn't It doesn't matter if the goals are really small either, then the fact that you have these goals and these aims for yourself and you feel that you have the ability to reach them in some way, even if you are really challenged by them, that is going to be something that keeps you motivated and keeps you moving forward. I mean, again, that, that's coming from the, that's coming from the psychology literature and the textbooks and things. and. There is, there is a sense sometimes that, I mean, the, the argument is made that people like me working in a university don't get to see what this, how this plays out in real life. So I'm really interested to see whether, how you find this plays out in real life. Have you, have you noticed any people trying really hard to get back to normality or clinging to it? Or? Definitely. I think, I think that's what we've all tried to do in our own little working from home world. You know, the first thing people have done when um, they've been working from home is to try and create a space, create a routine, you know, they've tried to create something that I suppose mimics what they had in the real world. And also, I think with children working from home, with the whole home schooling aspect to it all, I think again it's by trying to mimic what we had before. And that is to create that sense of structure and stability and security. So 
I think that is something that I definitely, definitely agree that people have tried to do that. And I'm just thinking, one of the things they've not been able to do that with as much is the social interaction. So we've tried to do it through Zoom. We've tried to do it in ways that, I mean, obviously Zoom is great or, or Teams or whatever system or platform people use, but it's not the same. It's not got the, the social clues and the body language and the, the social contact, the, the physical contact. All of those things have not been able to be replaced. And I think it just shows how very, very important human interaction is because you can't replace what it gives to you. And I mean, I don't know any of the psychology of it, but there's something absolutely incredible about it that you can't replace it when you don't have it. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I mean, one of the things that was just popping into my head then was that this is this is one of the arguments about why Zoom and Teams remote, remote working and, and kind of interacting through video conferencing is so draining to us, is that we don't get the same kind of cues. So we're having to work all so much harder constantly to actually understand what's being given to us. But we also don't have the natural breaks that we normally get in conversation. So, I mean, it's lovely today being able to do this less of a... Time we've yeah, we're there. actually, yeah, we're having this as a conversation and we're, we're able to interact on that way. But when we're doing it in the Zoom, it's full on all the time. We, we can't even really drop eye contact because that's not the social rules that you use when you're in Zoom. You, you stare face on, you keep concentrating on that person. And if you need to scratch your nose or shuffle or something, you switch your camera off so you can do it without the other person realising that you're breaking those social rules. It's so, quite bizarre when you think about it, isn't it? And I think it is quite a stressful experience because you are so full on all the time. No breaks. No breaks, no. And I think it is draining. And I don't think that's something that people have necessarily acknowledged. But also I think I've found I'm not getting half the sort of cues I would get. And I think working, especially with the, our trainers who work with young people, because due to safeguarding rules, they're not allowed to see the young people on screen. So it's literally just all names. So it's just solely about you stripping away all the aspects apart from the actual content. Yes, you can have a laugh with them, you can have the sort of banter and you can have the, the conversations, but you're not it's not that two way thing that you would have in real life. It's not the same energy. Not the energy. I think energy is the word, isn't it? It's, it's definitely about that energy. We've noticed that ourselves and obviously people are aware of the, the challenges that university students have had. And I, I realise that university students have a lot of opportunities built into that experience. But but they've also had to interact with us and we've had to interact with them. So again, it's going in both directions without having that energy. So it's really hard for us to get the energy to them and for them to get the energy back to us. Yeah. And that's one of the things that really brings the academic environment really to life. So in some ways, I really don't envy teachers having to, having to teach through the pandemic. In some ways, I really do envy them because they've been able to get that that indescribable, unique energy that you get from being in the same place as other humans. Yes. Tell you what though, Fleur, doesn't it make you value it? Oh, it does. It I, really does. I never realised, you might not believe it, I'm naturally quite an introvert. I never knew how much I would miss just sitting next to somebody being surrounded by other people. Yes. It is, yeah. I'm getting, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tear up if I'm not there, but it is, 
yeah. it's just brilliant. And I think in the classrooms as well, you don't realise what sort of toolbox you've got yeah. at your disposal. You know, the fact that you're actually speaking to people and checking on their responses or checking how they walk in, are their shoulders a bit drooped or checking if they sit on their own instead of sitting with their friends. There's all these... I mean, it must, must actually be thousands of point checklists yes. that you're going through yeah. during the day to, to keep check on people, to check that people are happy and safe and moving forward and, and, and behaving in a way that they're back to the word normal. Is that normal for them, how they're behaving? Or is something going on because they don't look like themselves? Or All those things have been taken away from us and that's the way we care for people. It's checking up on them. I love the idea of the fact that's how we care. I mean, it is what humans do. We take in that information all the time without even realising it. We process it, we act on it without even realising it. But by making it conscious, we show we care. And you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm just thinking now to talking about watching students coming into a lecture theatre and sitting down. You can, tell, you can tell what kind of day they're having already by the way they walk in and the way they sit down. And the way, or maybe they slump. And you, or the way they get the phones out, you're like, no, phone away. You know that that kind of thing. And you, but you can build that that rapport and yeah. that that. To me, that's the student experience that students have been missing. Not the stuff that other people have been taught. You know, they're saying they don't have the chance to mingle and do this and do that. Students will always find a way to mingle one way or another. Um, what they've missed, I think, to me, is that chance to get those social cues off each other yeah. and to show their engagement and that they want to be there, show they care, and to understand that we care about them as well. Those are the emotional responses, aren't they? I'm just thinking about, like, I was in the office the other day and there were three new staff and I went in and it's like, it's an emotional response. You know, I see these new people and I'm like, oh, wow, that's that lady that I spoke to on Zoom and she's here and now yeah. I can see it. And now <laughs> she's can, a real person. Uh, yeah. She's not just this robotic avatar that has been generated by AI. And the happiness that creates, uh, you know, you're actually with that person. I can't put it into words because I don't know what the words are. But there is definitely an emotional response to being with people. And definitely there's an emotional energy from being with people. That, I mean, I've been in Coventry all day today. I started off down at the um, Earl Street and I've been, you know, all the way up and talked to people on the way and bumped into so many people. It just seems to be a busy day all around today. But that wouldn't have been the same response. I've been very happy. But that wouldn't have been created by a Zoom interaction. If I'd have had an email of somebody, the people that I've met walking up here, um, it wouldn't have been the same reaction. I wouldn't have had that sort of little surge of happiness from an email or just bumping into somebody and having a chat with them. You wouldn't get that from a Zoom call. And I don't understand why, but there's something almost magical about it, isn't there? There's something really, um, really special about being, like you said a minute ago, you know, just being here where everybody else is interacting. And there's an energy that comes from that. So it really is an amazing thing. And we're out again. And <laughs> we it's are wonderful. Out. It, is, it is brilliant. It is brilliant. Well, the next question I've got is what are the, the costs and benefits of focusing on or striving for normality? That's a really, it's a really great question. And I, again, I think in some ways we've kind of already 
talked about it. But I think what's really important to think about here is the fact that the, the costs and the benefits here are very much different sides of the same coin. So when we're looking to fit in, then it means we lose some of our individuality. So we're kind of going to be treading a fine line, you know, of which, which works for us, which works for us in a particular environment, which doesn't work. And the fact now that we are going to be back in a situation where we can have that choice again, yeah. rather yeah. than being... So we've got the, the fitting in kind of... We've got the ideas of, of habits and what we're used to and predictability. So... Obviously, the, the benefits of that is that we feel more comfortable. We've also talked about the negative side of that, that it, it means that sometimes it embeds us in things that don't necessarily make us happy. We just do them because we're used to them, or they're because it's what we've always done. I mean, how many times have you sat in a meeting where somebody said to you, oh, we do it that way because it, that's the way it's always been done. And I can imagine somebody says that to you once, Fleur, and then they never, ever <laughs> say it again, because I know how passionate you are about driving change forward, and just go, well, okay, how's that thing actually worked? And if it hasn't worked, then you go, right, well, how do we make it work? So I think all of the things that we've talked about, we can, uh, we can, we can line up a cost for it, something that is a negative for us, but we can also flip it on its head and turn it into something that's, um, that's a benefit for us. The real key here, I think, is actually moving, kind of navigating a really fine line between those things and thinking on an individual basis and then in our groups and in our communities in the in the social kind of gatherings that are meaningful to us i mean in terms of, kind of companies where people work together or organizations where people work towards the same goal of actually looking at these things that are around normality that we focus on in terms of normality and then deciding which ones are opportunities for them which things will drive useful change which things are going to be useful because they bring comfort, but not stagnation? Which things are going to increase uncertainty so they shouldn't be changed? So it's constantly asking those questions and not just accepting what's gone before because it's what's gone before. We also have, as well, the idea of being really flexible and adaptable. Because that's the one thing that I think, I mean, certainly the one lockdown, the first lockdown, everybody was coming up with really creative, exciting ways of doing the things that we've been told we can do. But we knew we had to, because we were being paid to do them. We had to deliver them. We had to do, I had to give a lecture. You had to deliver this training. You had to meet with this person or do this thing. And it's enabled us to be really creative and adaptable to our environment. That's very true. That is difficult. That is always going to be challenging. But it's another thing that human beings are very good at. I mean, you look at evolution, it's what has shaped us and it has just shaped our fitness to our environment. Human beings are really good at finding solutions to problems. So whatever the costs and the benefits of thinking your way through that problem space and deciding what is useful change to make, I think that's the fine line that we need to make. From, from my perspective, it's kind of a personal opinion, I'm drawing on the psychology here as well, but that's what it says to me. Um, I can flip it on its head and go, right, so what's it, what does it say to you then? Well, I love what you just said actually about those different reasonings. You know, some things we will do because they provide comfort, 
some things they'll do because they will do because they don't they take away that insecurity you know all those different things i think that to me is the key because i'm seeing people saying now like different companies oh we're not going to have uh, an office in the city center because we can do it a lot more efficiently i'm very very <laughs> concerned about the word efficiency <laughs> Cheaply, is that the word that's bringing to mind? Yes. I don't think efficiency takes any sense of what is best for the human person and for community. So efficiency in decision-making is really dangerous to me. So I'm very cautious on that one. But I think it's all about actually looking at what we want to achieve. And if you actually look at, okay, we can do Zoom, and it's loads cheaper, and we can start having city centre offices, and everybody can work from home. Okay, what's that going to do? It's going to save money. I couldn't care less about saving money. I want to build communities and make well-being a priority. So for me, that's going to be at least third down the list of, of criteria that I'm interested in, because first of all, I want all the people happy, I want the communities built, then if we can do it in a way that's cost-effective, happy days. But I think actually saying we can do this more efficiently by doing it on Zoom, I don't want to live in a Zoom, a Zoom-focused work space, because I think it doesn't give that sense of joy. I, I don't remember any joyful interactions over Zoom. Whereas I have had a totally very joyful day today. But I can't put my finger on what it is that creates that, apart from that human energy and, and human, what you take from somebody's smile or what you take from somebody's response to you and you to them. It's just very, very fascinating. But that is a world I don't want to lose. And efficiency will certainly not be the driving force behind why I decide on zoom or not i mean i think sometimes it's good you know you can have people working on a bid or working on a uh, proposal or you know something that takes real concentration or a set of finance figures that's really good to work from home but i think wherever people are involved people need people and i can't imagine a world that would ever be better than a world where people are together do you think that's part of the flexibility then so we've seen this new way of working We've got the old way of working. We have an opportunity to take the best of both rather than keeping the worst of yes. both. Yes, yes. I think that's really interesting. Um, but what does the best of both look like? That's and a I really think good that's question. That I think we need to really well, that, deeply that, that, ask because the, res the, the response that I would want to make is, oh, let's get back to whatever as quick as possible. But I think we need to have some sort of step back and say, let's yeah. think about what we want to achieve. Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to create that change. And one of, one of the things we do we do know, and I'm sorry because I'm a psychology bore, I'm going to bring it back to psychology, is that when when it, human beings in, in themselves, when they see the world very much in, in kind of yes-no decisions, black-white, no grey in between, then that rigidity tends to indicate that the flexibility that is necessary for good mental health and well-being isn't necessary there. So it can actually indicate some, some problems. So if we say, this is definitely the way to go, or this is definitely, without actually acknowledging that there are lots of other questions that we need to ask and other factors we need to take account of, then in the same way as you kind of, I, I saw your facial expression as you were saying the word efficiency, as soon as I think of, you know, this kind of very stark yes, no, black, white decision making, I'm like, nah. 
that doesn't work either. That doesn't work for me. No, no. Especially where people are involved because exactly. it shouldn't be about efficiency. It should be about compassion. It should be about well-being. And I think those are the tricky things because we don't know what will lead to well-being. I think we know what won't lead to well-being. But like I was saying earlier with the... The, the sort of domestic situations and the economic situations, what may work practically, there's a lot more decision making that has to be taken into account because there's all of the different situations that people work in, there's the different positions people are starting from and I think those are the things that need to come into it as well when we're making these decisions moving forward and I think as well a lot of it will be made stronger by taking people's opinions from different perspectives so for me it would be people from from students from parents from councils from funders from from people who work at social services people who work for mental health charities what are all these perspectives i think it's got to be a really careful decision because it is such an important one to get right but for me personally i'd just be back at back to how we were before but i think that would be losing some of the benefits of the remote working that we can gain from Music, losing some of the nuance and, and yeah. it's but I, th I think I think right let, let's let's get the people let's get the people back to back I can't, I can't wait to be doing that myself definitely well. definitely I agree so final question is it going to be a tricky one <laughs> how it is a little bit actually how can we still be true to ourselves so moving into these new experiences this new world how can we still be true to ourselves i've been thinking about this a lot and i've been thinking of this in kind of contrast to the ideas of normality that we were talking about you know the habits uh being this average fitting in kind of thing that despite that we all know that everybody wants to, that everybody is an individual and wants to think of themselves as being an individual so whilst all these changes are happening and we're navigating this really tricky tightrope of what works from before what works from pandemic times or play times as i affectionately call them yes. what works now then it's actually kind of centering back in on ourselves and going what are our needs yeah. what what are my needs within this and there's a really nice bit of psychology that um, a lot of people know about called oh, yes. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes, I've you've heard, heard of this. Have you heard yeah. of this? Our head of educational strategy uses this a lot, and I really like this. So, for the listeners, can you tell them? Oh, yeah, I can tell. I can tell you about the the idea. Then is that human beings have a it's almost in a pyramid shape so at the base of the pyramid are the things that you you need to satisfy the most basic of your needs so you need uh, you need shelter you need food and drink um, obviously water not not other types of drink not making any judgments though um, you need clothes you need um, you need sex to reproduce you basically need your animal environmental needs and then as you move up the hierarchy you start to look at things like security so your sense of belonging your sense of routine the sense of fitting in with other people as you look at what called your esteem needs and then as you move right to the top of this hierarchy when all of those needs are are met um, from the most basic animal needs through your your need to feel safe and secure and wanted and to love and be loved 
you then finally get to a place where you are able to truly be yourself and achieve what you are capable of achieving. And this is what Maslow calls self-actualization. And it's a thing that we have to have all of the other jigsaw pieces. You can imagine it like a giant kind of 3D Jenga thing going on, that if you take away some of the, the needs, then you aren't going to get to the top of this pyramid. And if I'm honest, that's what I see a lot of the work that you do at PitXI, is helping people to fill in these these basic needs of the hierarchy to give them the chance to be the person that they are meant to be. And I, I kind of see it there. So those, once you can satisfy those needs, it, to me comes down to three things. And I, I've come up with a bit of a sound bite. I'm sorry, it's going to sound very pretentious. And it's three A's, three, the three A's. And I think the first thing is what we call authenticity. So that sense of being yourself in your own skin. So, you know, not having to put the fake face on for Zoom, not having to put the jumper over the top of your pajamas because you've got a Zoom meeting coming up. It's, do you know what? If I want to hang out in pajamas, I'm going to hang out in pajamas. If I want to put the suit on, you're looking glamorous today. For, <laughs> I'm going to put, I'm going to put the suit on. It's, it's that sense of being yourself and feeling as if you're yourself within your own skin and that pervading everything you do. So being part of all of your actions. The next day that I think is then is the idea of what we call autonomy. And this kind of ties in with self-efficacy. This is the idea of being able to make your own decisions. So your environment and the the elements around you. So for example, the global pandemic, the decisions that are being made for us make people feel really disempowered. Autonomy is the opposite of that. That is about feeling like you are back in charge. You might have to make compromises, we all do. You know, for example, I might want to drive really fast down the A45. I know that I'm going to get stopped and get fined if I try and do that. But the autonomy is about knowing you have choices and knowing you have different, different ways and feeling like you have those choices. And the final A that I think comes back to this idea of adaptability and giving yourself freedom to know that just because you've done something one way doesn't mean you are always destined to be stuck in that rut, that you have that opportunity, you've seen things differently and giving yourself that space to go, what has worked, what hasn't worked, what do I want now going forward? So that, that's that's my that's my kind of from my ivory tower, which don't exist. The ivory towers don't exist anymore. Fleur. Oh, do they not? But I'm oh. just going to pretend that I still have leather patches and I live in an ivory tower. <laughs> how how would you see that from that from your perspective? I really I really like that, and I think I think it is. About, I mean, I, I love the sense of the autonomy side of things and adaptability. I mean, adaptability, I just, I genuinely think that the one thing that has allowed us to carry on through the pandemic is the fact that we have been adaptable, which to me means resilient. Yes. You know, we've had to say, because this worked yesterday doesn't mean it will work today or tomorrow. So actually having to, in a sense, it's, it's to sort of... Um, take away your own security, isn't it? And say, all right, it might have been the case, but now that's gone and we've got to start something new. And acknowledging that it's not necessarily a bad thing. Absolutely, it, absolutely. And in some places, it seems such a scary thing, doesn't it? Yes. And I think for human beings, we don't want to have to give up everything that we have done and every way we have of doing things and our habits. We've got such a sense of security from doing those. It is very scary to have to just totally start something new. That's why I think 
the trainers and all of the team actually have been so amazing jumping into this remote world and rewriting all the materials and changing the way all the assessing was done, changing the way the examinations were done, the invigilations, the finance, everything, absolutely everything. So I think the adaptability and the resilience are the things for me that I think we have done incredibly well as a community. And I think those are the things that we need to take forward. I mean, especially for young people in schools, because they've had such a tough time. And I really hope that they can give themselves the opportunity to acknowledge how well they've done. Because yes, they may be behind in maths and English, however, Look at all the new skills they've got. Look at the way they've. It's not proven. just about ticks and boxes on some document in some officials' office. Absolutely. This is about what have you learned, what have you gained, yeah. how have you grown. Yes, definitely. I think that is a really important thing. What have they? What have they gained, and how have they grown? And I really hope they have the opportunity to acknowledge that and, and really really be proud of themselves because I think then the maths and English will fall into place. I mean obviously it's not going to just fall into place, it's going to be hard work but if they actually are in a place where they can build their confidence at first those things will fall into place. So I think what you're saying about those different aspects, it's not a single decision is it? It's not a single move forward, it's lots of steps and I think those are the things that we're going to have to be looking really carefully at as we move forward. So it'll be interesting to see where that takes everybody in the communities. We will build back, build back better. So it's been wonderful to talk to you. And you too. And, to and I, think, you in person. I think build back better is the perfect, oh, I do. perfect place to end. So yeah. thank, thank you so much for inviting me and thank you for sharing my thoughts on the new normal. Lovely. Lovely to see you.